This is Framed, a podcast where a group of friends get together once a week to talk about movies, what we liked about them, what we didn't like, and how they're made. I'm Elliot. I'm Robert. And I'm Brennan. This week on the pod, we take a deep dive into the 2019 classic thriller Knives Out. So this film came out fairly recently. Um, I remember going and watching it uh, at your suggestion, uh, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, uh, I went in completely cold uh, and it just blew my mind. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as I have started doing, I want to start off by uh, reading some reviews that came out when the film came out okay um so uh dwight brown from the national newspaper publishers association uh says there are plot twists aplenty but none add up to much Mm. uh film week uh the npr los angeles group said uh it had a great cast but mostly underutilized it had a lot of interesting elements looking like an i spy book come to life but it wasn't quite sharp enough if you will (laughs) <laughs> and then Michael Smith of Tulsa World, uh, mm. your local paper, said, I left not caring what the future held for a single one of these characters. Well, just as so, a side note, I, I don't have a very high opinion of, of Tulsa World. I, I've had some some ooh. kind of nasty run-ins with them, but that that's a story for another time. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna turn into shock radio here, and we're gonna tear apart Tulsa World. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> um, so people are entitled to their opinions. Um, but I will say that those three reviews, uh, though from legitimate reviewers, uh, are in the minority. Yeah. This is a pretty well received film, um, particularly coming on the heels of his uh, previous work before this. Yeah. Uh, Last Jedi. Yeah. So what's the Rotten Tomatoes for this? uh, I think it's 97. Mm, Yeah. So I think (laughs) those those three reviews were the 3% of uh, negative reviews. (laughs) Uh, I I think it probably got more than 100 reviews, but yes. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm excited to kind of hear what you guys thought. Uh, kind of talk about some of the things that I loved about it and just kind of dive into this film. Yeah, sounds good. Brennan, do you want to uh, share your thoughts first? I think this was the first time you've watched it, right? Correct. And um, it was also my pick for the month because y'all had talked so highly of it. Um, I enjoyed it. It was not what I was expecting. It's got a lot Mm. of well-known actors in it as well. Um, I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Um, when we dive in a little bit deeper, things might start coming back to my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it was a good movie. Elliot. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, just to sort of get across just how much I love this movie. I do want to back up a little <laughs> bit. Um, Robert, you, you uh, referenced <clears throat> Ryan Johnson's previous film, uh, the last Jedi. Um, yeah, I, I I've had kind of a, a rocky experience with Ryan Johnson films over the years. Um, I went to see Looper 
in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very underwhelmed by it. Um, mm. I, I just, it was not what I was expecting, which sure. is kind of a common theme with, with his, his, uh, filmography. Um, but I mean, on the other hand, he's also directed some of my favorite episodes of Breaking Bad. So I, I know that he's, you know, got got talent, even if n- not every one of his movies is for me. Um, so, sure. uh, yeah, coming off of The Last Jedi, um, I was kind of feeling like, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't just that like The Last Jedi didn't really feel like it was for me. I felt like I had been kind of betrayed by Rotten Tomatoes, which I, I felt like was a... Uh, uh, a pretty reliable source of, of um, you know, giving you a sense of, of, you know, the quality of a movie. Like I, I completely disagreed with their, their scores for Looper and, and for the last Jedi. So I was kind of in this, this frame of mind of, you know, fool me twice, shame on me. Um, so <laughs> I was, I was very numb to all of the accolades that knives out was getting from critics. I was like, no, I will not go see another Ryan Johnson film. And I was on Absolutely. a I was on a work trip uh, in Albuquerque. Um, I guess it came out like at the end of 2019, like around the the holidays. And I was just sitting in my hotel room looking for something to do, and I was cruising around the internet, and I came across this commercial for Knives Out, where it was just like superlative after superlative about how just how good this movie was, and what a great time you'll have if you go see it. So I finally caved in the hotel room and left the hotel, got in my car, went to the movies and and went and saw Knives Out. So I sit down in the theater and I'm like, all right, Ryan Johnson, impress me. So I started out at zero with this, with like, you know, basement level expectations for this. And I came out of the theater just absolutely loving this movie. So for the it to cross that distance in two hours, I think it would be one thing if I went in like sort of already predisposed in my mind. Okay. This is a a thriller mystery. I'm going to like this, but I went in like with nothing and came out loving this movie. So yeah, I, I, all that to say, I think this is an excellent, excellent movie and it's, there's, it's got a lot going for it. Um, it might be my favorite movie of 2019, but that would be hard to say because 2019 had an unusually high number of original auteur driven movies. You had for sure. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. You had Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, I mean, it's got some competition there, but I, you definitely one of my favorites from, from 2019. Yeah. Well, let's dive right into it and start uh, just setting up uh, the story and we can, we can dive in and talk about like what stood out to us, what we loved, uh, and what maybe caught us off guard Mm. um so this is definitely an homage to agatha christie um classic murder on the orient express Mm -hmm. uh sherlock holmes like these these films have uh, these films these stories have definitely uh inspired uh ryan johnson in this so we start out pretty much paint by numbers for a murder mystery thriller. Mm-hmm. We've got an eccentric uh, mansion. We've got an old rich person <laughs> whose death brings us all together. Um, we've got a family with secrets who all seem to have a motive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start out with the death of Harlan Thromby. 
we see that his uh, neck is slit. He's discovered by the housekeeper. Uh, there's, you know, blood dripping down. Uh, it's a very intense and almost uh, tableau uh, look to start us of like uh, the game's afoot. Yes. Death's on. Definitely. Um, and then we are slowly introduced to a cast of characters um, through, and this is a, a two hour film that is rather complicated. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to hit uh, some of the, the main points. And then if either one of you wants to dig into any of the minutia, uh, slow me down. But uh, we go from this to uh, again, another really like well trod, I don't want to say cliche, but probably cliche at this point. Of, conventional, uh, maybe. Conventional might be a, a nicer way of saying it. Uh, a conventional setup of police detectives uh, who not only are uh, okay with having a private investigator around their, you know, intrigued by him and mm -hmm. like giving him full range so <laughs> uh we meet the the family uh through the thromby family through uh police interviews uh they're sitting down talking to everyone um and we've got uh mr blanc sitting <laughs> in the back uh, by a piano just listening and it's revealed that the reason we're re-interviewing everyone is because M mr blanc has been brought in by an unknown uh benefactor who wants him to look into the death um so i have a question so, about this scene before we go on yeah um i i've seen this this film a couple times now and i this I'm always like looking for some kind of hidden meaning in the moments where he he plays the piano key like it's mm. it's significant somehow. But after yeah. all these times I've seen the movie, I can't come up with a reason for why he chooses to hit that one note on the piano at, at certain times throughout the interview. Do, do you guys feel like it was there was any meaning isn't to it? it when, yeah. Isn't it when people lie? See, I, I that's what I thought, but it's not consistently i mean maybe maybe that's what the uh like the the idea is that it's when people are lying i i sort of thought that it was just like him you know just generally finding something interesting he'll he'll play the note on the piano or or maybe he's just bored and it's arbitrary i don't know i i couldn't think of a i, I didn't notice a pattern uh i definitely wasn't looking for a pattern um, so I'd have to go back, but, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's when they are. Somebody's lying. Quite like outright lying, but like when they're truth. withholding the truth. So mm -hmm, like, yeah. um, when Linda's character, uh, is being compared to her brother, um, Walt, uh, she says like yeah something like that or are you trying to get me to to yeah. say things against my brother or something and then right. the piano hits so like i think it's it it's like him 
saying mm, there's more here, mm. like almost putting putting a, a, a bullet point next to something. Yeah, I also like that it's the the B key that he he presses on the piano B for Blanc. <laughs> Don't know if that was there intentional or not. Uh, I would not know, but that feels like something <laughs> that would be intentional. It seems like too arbitrary to not be intentional. Mm. Um, the thing that I love most about this opening sequence, uh, without getting too far ahead of myself, is it subtly sets up the fact that there are different different opinions of how things happen. Yeah, it has a and Rashomon kind of feel to it. Yeah, they can all be wrong. So we go through, uh, you know, the family's telling of the night, and we see, you know, different moments colored in different ways yeah. or uh, emphasis put on different ways, uh, which yeah. then sets us up for 30 minutes into this two-hour film when the ending how it happened monologue is given <laughs> right yeah and... so that that was maybe the first moment in the theater when i was watching this when i was just like i mean we we talked ad nauseum during the last jedi about subverting expectations like i think this mm -hmm. was the first moment where i felt the like the ground give out under my feet and i was just like okay i have no idea where the rest of this is going he just gave us everything in the first half hour. I was so confident. I knew where it was going. Mm -hmm. I was so confident. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's gonna, she's gonna think that she killed it, but like someone will have sn snuck in and actually killed him. Mm -hmm. And you know, that'll be revealed. And then she goes back in to try to stop him and witnesses him killing himself. Yep. And like, there. And you're just like, there, there's nothing. There's there's no way around this. Like, mm -hmm. you've just revealed your entire film. Yep. Yeah. And there's still an hour and a half left. <laughs> like, what is happening? Right, right. The, the only thing that I really had a feeling I knew about from the beginning, well, not from the beginning, from when they talked about the different medicine, mm -hmm. was they got swapped. And then he killed himself on act. I mean, it wasn't accident, but like unmeaningfully. Yeah. But then we get to the point where they talk about all of that mm -hmm. and that the in-depth part of it, that how that part played out just still blew my mind. Like it wasn't <laughs> how I was thinking at the same time. So you sort of anticipated that maybe the medicine got swapped yeah yeah that i mean i i sort of trusted marta at that point in the story yeah. and i didn't like that didn't even cross my mind that she that that the meta that the contents of the bottles had been swapped without her knowledge yeah it zero percent chance i would have made that guess they're like it's probably the easiest guess to make uh, but like I, I was conf. The only thing that I got right in this, with all the twists and turns, <laughs> was that 
there would be a stab with a stage knife. Yep. Uh, yep. Because we have Chekhov's <laughs> stage knife. Yeah. He, uh, he, at the he mentions that in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you pointing that out to me that you, 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 uh, that threw me. I didn't see that coming at the end of the film. Yeah. This is, this movie's a lot like searching in that it doesn't cheat at any point. Like it, mm. they, they pretty much give you, I mean, not not all at once, obviously, but, you know, in in large chunks like this scene that we're talking about, the the flashback with with Marta and and Harlan, like he Ryan Johnson gives you a lot of the information up front. And, you know, I don't know. This is so convoluted and twisted, though. I don't know if you could conceivably figure it out, but I, I feel like there's no there's no cheating in this film either. Yeah, I completely agree. So um, I, I want to. So, oh, go, yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, so I, I want to um, maybe pause here and uh, talk to you guys about the, the character of Benoit Blanc, because he's, yeah, he's a very he's a very interesting character. Um, and this is maybe one of the areas of the film that I would like to nitpick a little bit. But, but uh, like with searching, I would like for you guys to talk me out of this and tell me and I'm an idiot and um, I'm nitpicking nothing, basically. But do you feel like Benoit Blanc's character is not entirely consistently written. I feel like this film in in some ways can't make up its mind between whether he is a a master sleuth detective and is like on Sherlock Holmes level of of observing details and getting everything right or is he or is he a bumbling idiot? I feel like this this movie tries to do both. And it's like it doesn't it doesn't take me out of it. Um, and I, you know, I, I love, you know, Daniel Craig and his his performance in this. But, I, you know, I feel like for every scene where where he like detects something that's just insane, like the like the blood spot on Marta's shoe. There's another scene where he, you know, does something stupid, like he's sitting in the car singing while the ambulance pulls up behind him. Right. I think that that's a fair complaint. I do think that, so like, this is this is going to be a franchise. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Netflix, I, Netflix, I think, picked up the rights to not just Knives Out 2, but also Knives Out 3, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, so, like, from a, like, filmmaking standpoint the only like through line is going to be Blanc. Yeah. So he needs to be enough of a character to be a through line, but he also needs to be a servant to the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not Blanc's story, right? Yeah. Uh, We don't, we don't start with him and we don't end with him. You Mm -hmm. know, this is very much uh, Marta's story. Yep. So in doing that, I think you have a very tall order to walk that line between um, between making him interesting and, uh, you know, charismatic enough to mm-hmm. have a whole franchise, you know, to be your James Bond, to be yeah. your Sherlock Holmes. Yep. Yep. Uh, but also not let him steer the the show and to daniel craig's credit i think he handles that performance really well yeah um i think 
he is super charismatic in mm-hmm. all of his scenes. He creates this very, very lovable character. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm never wishing he's there. You know, I if we don't have him around, I'm completely fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. It's like you're comfortable with the, the progression of the story, even in the scenes he's not in. Right. And like a big thing that you have to keep in mind when writing is like perspective and like who, who's allowed to, to control the audience's perspective. Yeah. So like, uh, and famously in thrillers, like you, you only have scenes from the hero's perspective. Um, you know, you don't, you don't cut to the villain doing something. Mm -hmm. You don't cut to, you know, the detectives closing in or whatever, like you stay with your hero and we do that. Like there, there are flashbacks with other people, Mm -hmm. but otherwise if, if Marta's not there, it, it's not a scene. Um, Mm -hmm. so like that's, I, off the top of my head, like maybe you guys can, I cannot think of a single, franchise that has tried to build itself around not the lead perspective driving character um Mm. and to be fair knives out hasn't done that yet they're trying to do it but like they haven't haven't pulled it off yet yeah Um, the only example that comes to mind for me is the pink panther films where if you look at the first one they intended for it to be a jewel heist starring david niven and but because yeah. Peter Sellers was was cutting up so much in the background that he kind of stole the movie out from underneath everybody. And they were like, well, let's just make it be about this character instead. Yep. So I'm glad you brought up Pink Panther, because I think that there is definitely uh, some inspiration like in oh, yeah. Blanc having that like bumbling geniusness. Mm-hmm. I just think it's what they're trying to do here and how I read it, which keeps me enjoying it, uh, but is very much, you know, explaining how a parsec actually does make sense <laughs> for Han to say uh, is like, this is them writing a character that is believably enough of a like genius detective to be a genius detective. Yeah. But also bumbly and funny enough to be bumbly and funny. Whereas like your, your Clouseau's like you, you have to suspend your disbelief that like anyone would let them around. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. It kind of walks that line this is trying to walk that line of having that nod to the classic, you know, bumbling detective that still manages to pull it all out, uh, but is functioningly an adult enough that you believe he belongs, you know? Yeah. I think also, Oh, go ahead, Brennan. I was just saying that um, with Blanc's character, I was getting kind of that pink Panther vibe, mixed in with um sherlock holmes like they kind of because sherlock holmes is it i mean depending on which one you're watching isn't over the top Mm -hmm. like 
Clouseau and Pink Panther. Right. I felt like it was a good combination of the two. Yeah. I think that the the main in-universe reason for, like, why he can hit as many times as he misses is, I think you could look at it as he has a blind spot that because he he takes a liking to Marta right away that she she kind of operate because he likes her that he you know is not paying as close attention to her as he should um so i have a question yeah it other than the jamming out to ipods while the ambulance is behind him Mm-hmm. Is there any other example? Like, there's moments of him being goofy, like the donut hole monologue. <laughs> right. Um, but, like, the donut hole monologue is brilliant. And when we get to it, I will I will argue to my death why it's brilliant. <laughs> but, like, he's, he's being Sherlock in that moment. Yeah. He's just being a non-eloquent Sherlock. So, like, do you have another example of him, like, being a buffoon? Um, or being un unconsistent in his writing. Inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's definitely moments in the film where they he's he's you know they make a joke at his expense, like um, the the scene where they're walking around on the grounds and he's like talking about being observant, and the the dog brings the the piece of the broken trellis to Marta, and he doesn't even notice it. Um, but that I mean, that's not really. Um, I mean, because we've already established that he's not like this godlike detective that just right. observes everything. So that, you know, I don't know if that's a good example. But at the end of the film, when when Marta hands him the toxicology report, she's just like, you're not much of a detective, are you? Um, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a, a good example or not. Because the I, I think the most obvious like example is the ambulance moment. Yeah, but. In his defense, they've caught the guy at that point. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, the the chase is over. Like his his job's done. He's got yeah. you know nothing to do. So maybe he he already is thinking that music. He's already thinking that that ransom did it. Maybe and so he's yeah. Maybe he's just like I got nothing well, else to do. They they definitely think Ransom's done it, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why they were chasing the car and why they were okay with her not going in, you know, like they were chasing him. They weren't chasing her. So Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and then she he but, lies but I mean like and says Right. Go on. No, no, no. I mean he just sort of lets her go into that laundry by herself. Um, you know, even though she's, you know, associating with, with one of the suspects and is, you know, acting extremely suspicious but you know you you could argue well he he knows that lying makes her throw up and she's not puking so she must be telling the truth yeah Yeah. so yeah i don't know i mean i like oh yeah go ahead brennan oh i was just gonna care i was gonna go to another point so you continue and then i'll no yeah i i guess um It's like I I appreciate, you know, Ryan Johnson does write very gray characters. Um, They're not Mm -hmm. nobody is like a a Luke Skywalker or a Darth Vader. You know, people are are these bundles of of good and bad traits. And and I I think that, yeah, I I appreciate that about how he writes his characters, that they're, you know, nobody's perfect in in like a a screenwriting sort of way where where characters, you know, 
if they're going to make mistakes, they have to be like very clear sort of conventional mistakes, I guess. So for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, like I said, this is kind of a nitpick and I mean, I, I, I love Blanc's character and I love Daniel Craig's performance and you know, that ambulance scene makes me crack up every single time (laughs) I see this movie. It's just, it's, it's a perfect, like, yeah, like it's, it's, it, it feels ripped out of a pink Panther movie almost like just the way that we hold on Blanc and we see the ambulance pull up behind him. It's, It's great. And I think it's a, it's a fair nitpick. Like, I think that's a very logical uh, complaint and inconsistency. Yeah, um, I think, but, yes, you know, you like you said, we have more Knives Out films coming. So, you know, we'll we'll probably get a get even deeper insight into Blanc's character and in, in different I hope different situations. <laughs> like, I, I really hope that he is still just this enigma floating around. Mm. You know, I, I I think it would be. I guarantee you, like some executive said, okay, so the next one is gonna be a uh, a prequel where we set up Blanc <laughs> becoming Blanc, right? Um, but I think that would be a terrible idea, you know. Leave yeah. him as the secondary, you know, weirdo in the corner, and oh yeah, keep, keep putting interesting people front and center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely. Brennan, you were gonna move us on to something else. What was yeah. that? Yes, I'll let you mentioned the throwing up and lying with yeah. her. Um, so I want y'all to try to go back to the first time you watched this, okay? Mm-hmm. When they first introduced uh, the fact that she throws up when she lies. Just at that point, don't think about the ending. What did? What were y'all's thoughts on that? I, I'm trying to remember. I think I was just thinking to myself, this is so weird. And, and I can't believe I got tricked into seeing another Ryan Johnson film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, I was similar to where like I had low expectations and it wasn't until they revealed the ending 30 minutes in. And I was like, I have no clue what you're doing with the rest of this movie. Mm-hmm. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, so uh at that point i was i i think i was just like that's a a weird choice to make for this Mm -hmm. character but okay i'm here for it i guess yeah because so i where both of you all went into with lower expectations i had high expectations for this because you guys had talked it up to me and when we got to this point Right in my notes, this is what it says. Where the heck is this going if they're already basically telling us everything we need to know? I mean, like, she she is there for everything. If she lies, she's going to throw up. It's mm-hmm. way too coincident. It's a big coincidental thing. I'm like, I, I there's there's got to be more. I mean, there is more. There's another hour to this movie where where is this taking us Mm -hmm. um but then by the end of it um by my notes i put oh i get it now (laughs) Chekhov's vomit good old Chekhov's vomit yeah i think like 
you know, even though I've seen this several times now and I've, I kind of know where all the twists and turns are, a lot of this movie does sort of feel like um, you're sort of being dangled upside down where, you know, it's it's tropes and conventions you're familiar with, but everything is just so inverted of how you're used to things proceeding. Um, and right. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It just feels very, um, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but just like, just like a different posture, I guess, for a film. Sort of like the story equivalent sure. of a canted angle. Yeah. Um. So the plot progresses as you would expect. You know, they, they start um, investigating things and you as an audience are kind of set up to believe that you're about to watch... Uh, a story about hiding a murder, you know, mm-hmm. where we we've set up who's responsible, but we we love her, so now we're hoping she can get away with it. Um, right, kind of the setup that we're given. It kind of puts um, you in an interesting position because you're not natively siding with the detective, hoping that he figures it out. You're actually rooting for him to not figure it out. Exactly. Um, so, uh, but as it progresses in that, uh, normal-ish expected way, uh, of her kind of misleading, uh, the detectives as they do normal detective things, uh, we get more and more insight into this family. Yeah. Um, so I think this might be a good time to just talk about the family. What was your guys' thoughts on uh, them as a unit? Uh, did you have particular favorite characters? Uh, any thoughts on the family? I think Jamie Lee Curtis has got to be my favorite family member, Linda Thromby. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was great. Um, I liked Walt's, uh, cane. I thought that that was used very effectively, especially towards the end when in that scene in the apartment hallway where he's threatening Marta, that was good, uh, yeah, good cinematography there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, all of them have, are, are kind of horrible people, but it's like we sort of figure that out organically like just by letting them talk for you know especially during that first segment of the film where it's just interviews like we we sort of get the the impression this is a really dysfunctional family comprised of of almost across the board maybe with a few exceptions just bad people um Mm. but i mean like they're they're great well-written characters like every every single one of them Mm. i think you could do a whole a whole story around. What about you, Brennan? I'd say my favorite character by far is probably the grandma. Because oh, she's yeah. just very, I mean, in one way, she's a very, I mean, it's a small part mm-hmm. in a way, but then uh, at the same time, there's this, I mean, good. I mean, they would, I don't think they would have, figured it out at the end if it wasn't for some of her small like you're back you're back already that mm-hmm. small line like there's parts i don't know 
She was yeah. definitely my favorite character. It's crazy to me that Kate Allen is like six or eight years uh, younger than Christopher Plummer. Like <laughs> she just looks so frail and yeah. like broken in that and he still looks like so spry it's just it's crazy what they can do with makeup i was gonna ask if they um, if they put makeup on her yeah i'm, yeah. I'm I not mean, that familiar with what she Kate Allen looks like these days she doesn't look young but she doesn't look as you know frail frail as uh they made her look for sure that's another uh moment in this that just makes me laugh every single time is um the last drawing room scene where uh, Blanc announces that Mart is not going to give, she's not going to renounce the inheritance. And then he storms out of the room and then it, she's just sitting there chuckling on the couch like that. That always gets me. Yeah. Yes. I uh, also, Oh, I was just going to add, I also think that my most hated character, um, I do have one would be the, girl that seemed to be really good friends with marta mm. and then just meg yeah meg just kind of threw her under the bus yeah i just i think that was my like that the phone call whenever mm. she called and it's like they're not here yada 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 and they pretty much talked her into calling but and that just irritated me like mm-hmm yeah, because they no kind of they kind of set Meg up as as a, a more sympathetic member of the family, but yeah, she does kind of betray Marta a little bit there on in that phone call scene. But but then at the end of the movie, you know, Marta forgives her and and doesn't seem to have any any ill will toward Meg. But yeah, you say that you say that, but then I don't think she fo- I I don't believe she fully forgave her either. Yeah, because you think that she like probably she didn't give it. F- you don't think she gave Meg any money after the end of the film? I don't. Mm. I feel like it, I feel like if she would have gave Meg portion of money after the film, she Meg would have maybe even stayed there too. Yeah, probably keep looking for more Meg. handouts. I guess it depends how many more years of school she she has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't crazy about about Meg's character either, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, again, it's like he, he writes gray characters, so it's like, you know, she's she's on Marta's side for most of the film, but and then in the end, she does backstab her. So. My favorite part about the family is the fact that they're all pretty awful people. Mm hmm. Uh, but they are all like motivated differently. Mm, Um, you know, they all as any good villain, because they are effectively the villains. Yeah. Um, they all believe that, that they're justified, that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're the, the good member of the family and everyone else is the problem. Right. They're the hero Uh, of the story in their own minds. Yeah. Um, so I I really love the scenes where the family is bickering. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I was going to I was just going to say that. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. It's just so well written mm-hmm. and acted. You know, it it feels like a legitimate family 
you know, dynamic, Mm -hmm. but, and you're sitting here and it doesn't matter like what they're talking about or what you as an audience member feels about what they're talking about, because regardless of who's talking, you dislike them. Mm -hmm. So regardless (laughs) of what like point is being made, you're like, ah, just stop talking, (laughs) which is like every, every, you know, family political argument for anyone of just like oh my goodness i don't even care what's being said just stop talking right right, Uh, yeah it's it's so well done i love it yeah the the drawing room scenes are are some of my favorite i mean this like i I love the whole movie but i mean like the drawing room scenes are standouts for me especially once ransom shows up that scene uh right before the will reading where they're they're all bickering with each other i think is just like perfect expertly crafted like just hilarious family bickering the uh where the meg and and uh jacob are calling each other names and, and walt's just sitting there like i have no idea what any of that means is is it's just great <laughs> yeah i also think that it's like really impressive that they are able to have such a large cast Mm. but not have any character feel like another character like i have yeah i have no problem differentiating everyone in this film whereas like i feel like in a lot of cases with large casts it's like okay which one was that Mm -hmm. again yeah oh right 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 um the only character i think kind of slips through the cracks in this is um walt's wife uh donna fair she she has a few scenes and but i mean she doesn't get to play that big of a part in this i think she's the only one but i mean that's one character pretty much everybody else has got like a unique trait or or some like key scene that lets them stand out and and shine in this which is is impressive for a cast that's so big yeah i i we we def you are correct. I think we definitely could have done without uh, her character, and I think like a fair knock against it would be that like her character is only there um, to be his wife to yeah. show that he has a wife. You know, like yeah. There's that to, scene in the make beginning. Him yeah, more interesting. Right, um, right. He, there's so, that scene where she drops a dish at the at the birthday party, but then I think that's all she does. I think she talks mm-hmm. a little bit in one of the drawing room scenes, but yeah, she's kind of a uh, small small part in this. Absolutely. Um, can we talk about Frank Oz's cameo? <laughs> what a, what a great oh, uh, great little goodness. walk-on character. Please. Yes. <laughs> And it's not even that he's that cartoonish of a character. It's just the the dry way he just kind of like is just like, I, I just want to get this over with as fast as possible. And he's just like, you know, again, we go back to the drawing room. And he's just sitting on the couch, just explaining like all these legal terms to everybody. And he's just like so done with this family. And he just can't. And when they were they finally are like, you can go. He's like, thank you. I'm out of here. It's uh very very well done Mm -hmm. um but to be fair like this whole cast is just dynamite yeah yeah yeah. um 
but Frank Oz comes in at just the right moment and adds <laughs> just another fla- like he's the sprinkles, you know, mm, he's yep, just yep. it it just pushes it a little bit farther. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 great. It also leads to one of my favorite jokes in this, uh, which uh, is, did you just Google that? <laughs> Followed by, oh, the important information we're about to give. Oh, I did just Google that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I very much enjoy that. You could tell Ryan Johnson was having fun writing this. Like, there, there's a lot of scenes like that that are just like it was just fun to watch. What about Ransom? Let's talk about Ransom. Let's talk about Ransom. Um, um go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, again, it's perfect casting. It's like I, I, I literally can't think of anybody else other than Chris Evans in this role. He's, he's just great, and getting he to see destroys him destroys it. He just destroys it. Yeah, getting to see him play a villain was was a lot of fun. Um. I don't think like apart from Captain America and Fantastic Four, I can't think of anything else that he's been in. Uh, I guess Snowpiercer, but he was the the lead on that. Um, anywho, he, he getting to see him play a villain was a lot of fun. Um, I, I have some more to say about it uh, when we get to the, the end of the film, the final scene. But um, yeah, I, I love that he's, He's like a bad guy. And for stretches of it, you're not really sure if he's just truly bad because we haven't found out yet that he he did act with intent to kill Harlan. Um, yep. So you think that he's just like this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bad dude that's just trying to help Marta out. So, yeah, I mean, it, he kind of, you know, runs the gamut from you don't like this guy to, oh, he's, you know, on Marta's side to, oh, no, he is actually the the uh, murderer after all it's such a departure from captain america yeah which is you know what he's known as now Mm -hmm. um and he plays it so perfectly of just this arrogant Mm -hmm. insufferable man um that's still ridiculously charming. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get, you love watching him be a terrible person to his family. <laughs> like it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, and I, I agree. I don't think you could put that many actors in that role and have it land anywhere near as effectively. So in a lot of ways, this whole movie is a MacGuffin because we're, we're given that it's the story of Marta trying to get away with the manslaughter of Harlan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's start at, I don't know, like an hour and a half into the movie. Uh, it's revealed that someone is on to her but mm. they might be nefarious themselves. Yeah. Um, right. She gets that anonymous so blackmail note. She gets an anonymous blackmail note. Now we have skipped over. We've touched it slightly. We've, we've skipped over the fact that she has been left the entire estate and yeah. everything. Um, Which that and, scene, 
if we could switch gears and talk about the cinematography a little bit, I remember you pointed this out to me after uh. we, we both saw this, that after Marta finds out that she's got the in- entire inheritance and the, the family is chasing after her, we have this great shot w- that starts on a, on a tripod. And then as Marta yeah, comes out it, of the house, it's it, just like somebody picks up the camera and starts following her like paparazzi style. Yeah, it's it's like a steady cam, I think, um, because it is pushing in on her. But it's like it's smooth and controlled as she first steps out of the house. And then they do this very intentional, like just someone grabbing and lifting <laughs> up the camera and going into like this Ronin rig. Yeah, uh, that's just like such a a really like confident decision yeah, to do that and definitely. be like, no, it's, it's going to play. It's not going to take people out of the film. It's not going to draw attention to the camera. Like it's just going to work um, like that. That's a gutsy move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Johnson deserves a lot of credit there for saying, yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot but, of the, another one that's not quite as dramatic, but it, it's still a good, cinematography choice i think is backing up to the beginning with all the interviews that we're doing he he sticks to about two or three angles during the bulk of the interviews before blanc has been introduced and then i think it's Joni that's being interviewed that says i'm sorry but could we pause here when she says pause he switches to a completely different angle that we've never seen before Mm -hmm. to let us know we're moving into a new leg of the story which i i think is is a great nice little subtle touch yeah um, uh, I think it's Steve, uh, Yeldon, uh, is how you say his name, the cinematographer on this. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, also did brick with Ryan Johnson. Mm. Uh, he did the brothers bloom. Uh, he did looper. He did last Jedi. So like they have worked together for mm. a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. so y- there's, definite advantages to building uh that like trust with each other so like whether it's uh the cinematographer saying hey i think it would be really cool if we like have someone literally pick up the camera here Mm -hmm. Uh, and then as the director going like okay yeah that's gonna work or if it came the other way and it was ryan johnson's idea like okay we've done enough projects i i know you're not gonna you know make me look like i have no clue what i'm doing as a cinematographer here let's do it yeah Um, yeah there's film can only you know we talk about the autor theory of you know someone whose hand is on everything but like the reality is films only can be great when there's like a amazing team around it Mm -hmm. and you see with a lot of these like really famously auteur directors they work with the exact same crew on everything because you need to have this trust to be able to pull things off so yeah i agree the cinematography in this is really just stellar throughout yeah um so uh she finds out she's getting all the money uh ransom is confided in then uh she gets an email with the top copy of a toxicology report on it Mm -hmm. um and 
they start coming up with a plan of how to deal with this black male yeah. situation. Um, so they go to the lab, I believe. Is yeah. The next that, thing that uh, happens, is, I think. Yeah. I think they go home first, but like the next morning, um, because we have that beautiful scene uh, where uh, Walt intimidates her at her house. Yeah. Um, yeah. But after that, they go uh, to the, I don't even know what you call it, but the lab in yeah. the town, I guess. They're they're processing the, the Harlan's lab. blood samples. Um, so they go there to discover that it's been burned down. Yeah. Um, which is just another puzzle piece that doesn't seem to fit. Mm -hmm. You know, why would a blackmailer be getting rid of, you know, stuff? Evidence, yeah. Um, and then we have a pretty funny car chase scene. <laughs> the dumbest car chase um, of all time. <laughs> the dumbest car chase. Uh, which the, this is definitely like, um, uh, example of, um, earning things with your audience. Yeah. Because like, there's no way that they're just like, ah, you really shouldn't have driven away from us there, Marta. Like, did he tell you to drive fast? Okay, well, I guess this is fine. When <laughs> right. like she's clearly not picking up the phone or pulling over or doing anything, but that, they're just like, meh, convenient. The the the, um, uh, the scene where this is another part that just invariably makes me laugh every time I watch this, where Blanc is trying to get a hold of her and she like, you know, at first they're ahead of them, but we've established that the car can't go very fast. And so she looks out the window and sees Blanc like hanging out the window of the police cruiser trying to like, hey, pick up the phone. Don't you see I'm calling Pantomime you? I'm picking up a phone. And yes, it's so, it's, so good. It's very, very funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, at the end of that chase, they take Ransom in for questioning. Mm -hmm. um, and Real quick. Real quick yeah. on this, this was um, one of the parts that I just cracked up at um, when she tells the lie at this point, mm -hmm. holds it in so they think she's telling the truth and then throws up in the cup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he gets in the car with her. I was wholeheartedly thinking he was going to pick that up and try to take a drink from it somewhere. <laughs> As yeah. was I. I was, me too. And I was my hoping. stomach was churning the yes. whole time. Yes. <laughs> Guess he subverted all of our expectations again. <laughs> oh, Ryan. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, Marta asks if she can stop to pick something up on the way to the police station. Yeah. Uh, Blanc says, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, this is where we have that lovely scene where he's listening to music as an ambulance shows up. Um, she goes into the spot to find Fran, the housekeeper, mm -hmm. presumably dead uh, in a chair. Um, as right. she's interacting with the dead body, Fran starts moving uh, and says, you did this. Um, 
and she is left with the choice of either letting her die or trying to save her. Uh, Marta calls 911, tries to save her. Yep. Um, this point, uh, we have like a full confession from Marta explaining what all happened. Uh, and we think, okay, we're going to wrap up the movie. So in true murder mystery tradition, we all go back to the house. Everybody so is gathered in all, the, the living all room. the people gathered together in the living room and have a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then rather than let her confess to the family, Blanc suddenly, uh, stops her from her confession uh they find before she is doing this they go to the house because uh they think there's a another copy of the toxicology report yeah um so they go to get that and then marta goes to confess everything yep uh to the family blanc stops uh her takes her up to uh the office uh where we then bring in Ransom, mm-hmm. and then we have the true reveal of the film, where it has turned out that Ransom attempted to kill his grandfather dun, and dun, was dun. responsible for uh, the whole fiasco. Yeah, this final scene to me, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm this. I promise this is the last time I'm going to contextualize this movie in in terms of the Last Jedi, but. <laughs> to me, this final scene perfectly epitomizes what the difference is between these two films. Because, like I said earlier, we, we talked round and round in circles back when The Last Jedi came out about subverting expectations and, oh, when should you subvert expectations? When shouldn't you subvert expectations? I think the key difference between the two films, and I don't know if, if Ryan Johnson did some some soul searching or, or if he if he, you know, doesn't doesn't care one way or the other, but I think the key difference is with the last Jedi, you are led to believe that you're watching a star Wars film. And then he tells you, no, I'm going to give you this thing that you don't want. (laughs) Whereas with knives out, you're led to believe that you're not watching a murder mystery. And then at the end, he gives you what you want, which is the classic, the detective unravels everything and shows you everything that's really been going on. And it gives you this, this great feeling of catharsis that is completely absent from, from the last Jedi. For me, the like beauty of this film is like summed up in Blanc's final, uh, monologue, which is a very long monologue. (laughs) Uh, The donut hole inside the donut hole. Yeah, it like it's it's like 30 pages in the script Mm -hmm. uh, between like just what he's saying and like stage direction for what's happening while he's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's a lot. That's that's a big old chunk. Um, And supposedly they were planning to cut it down. But Daniel Craig was like, no, 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 no. Uh, (laughs) And if you notice, like it's it's not a very fast pace edit for that portion it's a Mm. lot of longer sustained shots um but not only 
is this monologue brilliant in the sense of like how it connects everything yeah it would have been so easy to lose the audience here yes a hundred percent it's also funny Mm -hmm. you know with him like not being Sherlock Holmes and succinct with his words, but, you know, <laughs> trying to do this ridiculous metaphor. Um, it is filled with twists. Like, it really does just encapsulate the whole two hours like, yeah. so perfectly. Um, which makes up for the fact, and this is true of almost any... Uh, in fact, I really think I can think of maybe one exception, uh, but most thrillers, there is a bit of runway after we've basically figured it out and mm-hmm. before it's spelled out to the audience where like, you know, OK, everyone is putting it together and like once a ransom is brought in like the audience is going okay something here doesn't add up right like something something's gonna be revealed uh so it would be so easy to just kind of check out during this moment because like you as an audience member are going okay so ransom tried to do something and oh that's right the help calls him hugh so she mm-hmm. was probably saying hugh not you um, so I didn't I didn't anticipate that I that that's and, me. and you expect when she says, ah, she's made a, a, a recovery and Fran is going to talk to the police now. Like you you kind of are going, OK, is she lying? Is she about to throw up? <laughs> like you're on edge at this point. And when he grabs the knife, you're you're primed for, oh, Ransom can't tell the difference between a real knife and a stage prop. Uh, so, like, there's a lot of twists in this ending, mm-hmm. uh, but they're the least, like, impossible to guess uh, out of the whole film, I would argue. Mm. So it would be really easy to, like, lose momentum here. Yeah. But instead, like, you've crafted such a fun and engaging world with these characters yeah. that, like you're just excited to watch them like connect it even if you're you know with them instead of behind them which is where you generally want your audience to be yeah um so i i just absolutely love this ending monologue the whole sequence like it's it's yeah one other thing i want to comment on with this ending is um the the entire film here sort of has this a subtextual theme about um, immigrants and um, sort of like ownership of, of territory, I guess Um, Mm -hmm. you have the scene in the middle of the film where the, uh, uh, the, the family is sort of not so subtly discussing the border wall. Um, The, the, the fact that Ryan Johnson takes Chris Evans, who we all know as Captain America to sort of give you this sort of like villainous take on this is our home. This is our birthright is, is like a, a totally gutsy thing to do. Like regardless of, of whether you agree or disagree with his politics, it's like, it's such a, I have to applaud him for doing that. Like literally just taking captain America and giving you this sort of like almost anti-American yep. speech at the end. 
Yep, it's pretty great. It is pretty great. Um, Brennan, your thoughts on the end? Well, like I uh, kind of was talking about uh, earlier in this, um, with her throwing up being very coincidental, mm-hmm. it's kind of now gone through the part of she's already held it in once um, to throw off her basically her scent um, <laughs> from the detectives. Um, and then she goes through this whole big thing of lying about um, the housekeeper still being alive and mm-hmm. all this stuff to make him basically fill his guts, tell him what's going, tell everyone what's going on. Um, how long she held that in, it kind of brought that full circle of, okay, that's why they did this at the beginning. This mm-hmm. is why they kind of started with the fact of, oh, where's this movie going to go? And then it's just hit full force at the end. Like, okay, I get it now. Um, mm-hmm. And then going, taking a couple steps back um, to when he comes in, with the toxology report mm-hmm. um i went through most of this film thinking he was kind of heartless i mean doing it he's doing a job um but i mean part of this was yeah he finally connected finally connected all the dots f- for the murder but i also feel like he had this arc of um feeling for marta mm-hmm. in a sense um which was pretty nice um i was not expecting one of the um other detectives to have their phone recording mm-hmm. um that was a big surprise to me i was like well how are they going to get this yeah he just said everything and she threw up but how are they going how is this going to gonna be admissible in court yeah exactly they, and they actually establish that at the very beginning of the film when they start the interviews they show uh it's either trooper wagner or uh or um, right lieutenant elliot we see their phone uh recording at the beginning yep correct they don't cheat i just i don't know it's it that this is my this is me being nitpicky this is my one nitpick for this was yes they had it at the beginning for the interviews but the fact that he just just so happened to be recording at this point Mm. um it just kind of threw me for a loop because at Mm. this point they've already they all know he did it like they i don't know does that make sense yeah i i think that um it's kind of like what robert was saying earlier that you you sort of earn a few passes after you've like built up enough audience goodwill um right and i think that you know i think also you might have tipped your hand too early if you had shown the the phone turning on like at the beginning of the scene i think that that would have clued us in oh something big's about to go down whereas 
the way it's done is it's sort of revealed gradually that, oh, there's more here going on than we thought at first. I think also one other thing that just popped into my mind is I, I love, we didn't talk at all about Trooper Wagner, which is, is it just another great like eccentric character that populates this film. But I love his little mm-hmm. moment that he has when, when uh, detective Lieutenant Elliot is, is just like, okay, I'm, this is, this is too much. Just cut it out with the theatrics and, and, and Trooper Wagner's like, Shh, no, 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 don't interrupt. Cause he's, he's kind of established at the beginning as he's like a big fan of like, murder mystery novels mystery. and he, he's constantly yeah. he's quoting oh it's from this book or oh this is like that other story so he's just like you know fanboying out at the end with with blanc you know unspooling everything he's just like shh, shh. which like you could definitely make the argument that like he's recording because he just wants to have a recording of this <laughs> right because he's the um, one who's recording right yeah right i guess yeah that's 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 a good valid point. I'll, I'll take that. I will take that. Mm. But I also like, doesn't he doesn't Blanc whisper something to him when he asks mm-hmm. him to go and get uh ransom. Yep. He does. So uh, like, Oh, that's true. I, I also think it's very plausible that he's, he uh, told him to start recording. Yeah. Says go and get him and start recording. I for I, I did forget about that. I, Okay, that just took my <laughs> Well, um, do we want to give final thoughts and scores? Elliot, do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know that I have much else to say about this. I, I really love this movie. Um, there's, there's, you know, <clears throat> tiny nitpicks as usual of, of, you know, things, things I would have done differently or or you know but i don't know like it's just th- this film is so much fun and everybody just turns in a dynamite performance and mm. everything just works so well <clears throat> like for being such a, a an insane convoluted mystery story it 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 all it all holds up incredibly well on on subsequent viewings like everything just works and so like you know, I think that this this film has has well earned all of the praise that it's received. Um, yeah. So. I'm <laughs> I'm torn. I don't want to do like two 10 out of 10s in a row. I mean, because I don't know, like I said, like we were talking about like earlier with like, you know, little inconsistencies in the way characters are written. And I don't know, like. Just. Mm, I don't know. I I mean. Or can we do like decimals that are not 0.5? Could we, could I do like a 9.9? <laughs> sure. You can, you could give it whatever score you want to give it. All right. 9.9. 9.9. It is Brennan. Uh, what about you? Okay. Real quick. I'm going to throw in, I do have one, uh, fun fact. Oh yeah. Uh, which I always try to throw in at least one. There is a part I want to know if you guys noticed this um, when uh, I don't remember if it's Marta or Marta's sister was watching the beginning of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it's a- her sister with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the uh, yes. voice actor. Yes. yes. Yep. I, that, did, I didn't uh, know I was, that, actually. That That's great. 
Yeah. So I was kind of looking into this a little bit because um, he's been in a couple other uh, Ryan Johnson films. Yeah, he was. in. Yes. The and, yeah. And so I when I heard that voice, I was like, I know this voice. <laughs> I, I just couldn't put a pin to it. So finished the movie. I looked I, right off the bat. I looked at the cast list to see if it had that. And then it had his name. And I was like, it kind of threw me off again for a second. I'm like, well, I don't really remember seeing him in it, but mm-hmm. so I went, I actually went back just for that part and I was like, yep, that's who it is. <laughs> it just kind of, it's like, that's going to be my, uh, fun fact. That um, is a fun fact. I didn't, I, I, I did not recognize that was his voice. We have the nanny up. cam. <laughs> so I'm going to say I love this wholeheartedly love this film it was good it was fleshed out very well um, there were the nitpickiness I'm probably going to say I'm going to give it a 9 um, where like with searching I gave it a 10 out of 10 like I just couldn't stop talking about it yes I have told a couple of people about this but it was it's definitely gonna be something i watch again too like just to check off and see some of this other stuff that you guys had pointed out that i Mm. may have missed i i love going back and watching thriller movies second or third time just to be like oh i see that now Mm -hmm. oh i see that now yeah this is a great Uh, film to do that with like it's very rewarding to to watch it knowing where everything is yeah for sure so, yeah, I would definitely give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, we'll definitely watch it again. It was really good. Just those small nitpickiness. Forgot to say this earlier. I would take this on a desert island. Mm. Could, could I, would, I could easily watch this film, you know, 10 or 15 more times. Yeah, yeah I agree. What about you, Robert? Uh, so my fun fact that I want to share with it uh, is a somewhat personal fun fact. Uh, because the first uh, movie project I tried to do, uh, I was shooting in my parents' house and they had uh, pictures hung up everywhere <laughs> and we couldn't afford to, uh, you know, go and print off fake photos or whatever. Well, but we couldn't well, have, you know, part of the problem yeah, was that we the murder that we were trying to solve was was for a, a person that we hadn't cast yet that if you recall we didn't mm. ever cast anybody to play your dad That's in right. the film so we we were thinking <laughs> okay well we'll, well we'll put green paper in all of these these photographs and then yeah. we'll put him in later we'll put it in in post which at the time with our ability and the technology we had ex- access to uh was quite possibly one of the stupidest ideas uh we could have ever come up with yeah i think it, we could have maybe done it but it would have looked super hokey and noticeable it would have it would have been very noticeable it would have drawn the audience out um but the painting uh which if you look at uh thromby's painting portrait uh throughout the expression actually does change there's three different paintings Mm -hmm. um and because they wanted those three different expressions based on what was happening in the film uh they 
had to wait for them to actually get painted and the painter was taking his time so they weren't ready for production so uh, it's actually just a green portrait in all the scenes that they then put the painting in in post and uh, <laughs> that just warmed the it. cockles of my heart i love it <laughs> um so for me uh you know it it shouldn't be a huge surprise uh like i i love films i love films that do what they're trying to do uh and i love films that audiences can you know escape in and you know sit around and enjoy and watch again and again and that's very much what this is to me uh i think ryan johnson made the exact movie uh he wanted to make when he set out to do this uh and it's one of the few films that i truly can turn on whenever Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm never you know upset to watch it um which you know i love thrillers but there are plenty of thrillers that like you can't watch back to back because like the thrill is gone um the cast the writing the performances just makes this such a fun movie to watch uh that i've got to give it a 10 out of 10 Mm. it's uh it's just well done yeah uh and yeah sure i'd take it to a desert island um but yeah i'm i'm eagerly looking forward to the next one um i i hope that he can pull it off a second time and and make just as good of a murder mystery but we'll we'll see i guess yeah i i don't have super high hopes but (laughs) we'll see (laughs) i'm also very excited for it uh i hope it gets a theatrical release me too they uh they do the the thing they did with the irishman yeah the i remember theaters as well going all the way back to the beginning i I clearly remember one of the uh quotes that was in that trailer i saw in my albuquerque hotel room the Mm. the excerpt the blurb from the review said this is the most fun you'll have in a movie theater this year and i think that this is that kind of movie (laughs) that you need to see with people absolutely where you can laugh and gasp together so i i'm with you i hope they do a theatrical release for the second one yeah all right, um, Elliot. What are we? What are we watching next? So, um, our next film to to round off our our month of thrillers is going to be our our wild card for the month, which, if you recall, is is a film that neither I nor Robert nor Brennan has seen. It's it's going to be a new one mm. for all of us, and so we picked the conversation, which is a a 1974 uh, thriller film by Francis Ford Coppola which I've been meaning to see for for years now and have, have never gotten around to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give us a, uh, a review on on iTunes or or Stitcher or whatever you happen to be listening to this on. Um, we'd really appreciate the feedback. Um, tell us what you like and, and what we can improve on. Yeah, we'd love to uh, to hear your thoughts. Well, thanks so much for uh, potting this week, guys. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation about <laughs> the conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> 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 Puns. It was great. It was a good time. Loved it. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.